gonna rock this shade Gonna scream my name Make you shout now, honey Gonna make you Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. And now, here's an indie blues double shot from our featured artist today, Michelle Damore and the Love Dealers. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs.
And we got Michelle on the line right now. Hey, Michelle, how you doing? I am doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Now, you've been on the show before, but it was a long time ago. And we always like to give our fans an opportunity to really get to know who you are as an artist. And the best way to do that is to look at your story. So give us the story of Michelle Damore and, of course, of The Love Dealers. Sure. Um, so I was fortunate enough to grow up in a household where music was played a lot. Both of my parents loved music, although they had pretty dramatically different tastes. Um, and my dad had a quite extensive record collection of jazz, blues, reggae, pop music of his time, which would have been, of course, the Rat Pack. Um, and, uh, uh, he even listened to some country, which was, was one of the places where our, our, our tastes diverged. But, um, and so he would let, you know, he would play records. He would let me from a pretty young age play, um, the records. And I remember listening to, you know, Howlin' Wolf 
and uh, muddy waters as a kid and just being absolutely smitten, which, you know, was some great foreshadowing to, you know, today. Um, I started playing musical instruments when I was pretty young. Um, I started writing stories and poems and songs when I was really young. Um, one of the stories I tell from the stage is how my very first song um, was called uh, My Mom is So Mean, which of course was a blues. Um, <laughs> and uh, sometimes I'll sing a bit of it. And um, I was only six when I wrote it, so the, the lyrics are somewhat somewhat simplistic. But um, anyway, it went on to take piano lessons. Um, I also play... Um, uh, bass guitar and uh, in the early 2000s got into um, playing at or you're performing at blues jams and tons of people encouraged me to put my own band together so that is what I did in 2011 um, the two founding members of the band are myself of course and our bass player um, Patrick McDonald whom I ended up getting married so um, that's interesting side conversation we can have about what it's like to be married to your uh, your bandmate and person who uh, is the first one to learn all the new stuff. Um, and then, uh, so we've been together, the band in various iterations has been together since 2011, and Hot Mess is our seventh studio album. Okay, well, let's talk about this new release. What was your goal for this? Oh, well, um, my goal was that it be fun and joyful because I think coming out of the last two years, we've all had enough doom and gloom. So it's interesting to try to approach joy within blues. But of course, you know, a lot of people will say that the blues is about um, therapy in a way for people or healing for people. And so that's what we really tried to tap into. Okay. Now, let's talk about your process as songwriters in the band. When you guys when you get together or when you sit down to begin the process of writing songs, what is your your mechanism that allows you to tap into the muse? Ooh. Every song is a little bit different. Um some songs just sort of appear in my head as almost like I'm hearing it on the radio with the lyrics and the melody and the arrangement and all the instrumentation, um, in which case I'm, I'm writing it down and I'm probably doing some sort of scratch track um, of vocals and bass as quickly as I can so I can capture it and then I teach it to the rest of the band and uh, communicate what I'm hearing or what I you know what I was hearing about their parts um, sometimes it's it's more I mean there's a song on the album called um, it won't break my heart that has lyrics that are more than 10 years old that we're just looking for a home so sometimes the lyrics come first and then the rest of it can take a while. Sometimes I have a, an idea for a groove and I record it and it's just sitting there waiting for, you know, its partner pieces to come along. Um, this album came uh, came together pretty well, though. It, um, Devil in the Dark is the first song that was written for that album, which I wrote in the summer of 2020. Um, Cold Red Sun was also written in summer of 2020. And then the rest of them uh, came along um, 
in 2021. The very last song that was written is Nurse with a Purse. Um, and interestingly, that would not have ended up on the album if we had recorded when we were originally supposed to in uh, earlier this year because we went into the studio and discovered that their power supply for all the recording equipment had died. And so, you know, no power, <laughs> no recording. So we had to push our recording date by out by a couple weeks. And in the interim, I wrote Nurse with a Purse, which is um, a song that people love and um, find highly entertaining. So um, I guess um, the muse sort of smiled upon me with with that coming in, um, between, you know, for the new recording date. Okay. Now, let's... You know, I, I always look at lyrics and melody as kind of two different functions of the brain. Um, mm-hmm. Lyrics are very structured. You have uh, you have to have a story, some continuity, rhyme, meter, all of those elements. But melody is a little different. Uh, some songwriters like to work off a groove or the cadence of the lyric or even, uh, you know, confined within a chord structure. When you start looking for your your melodic ideas, what what is kind of your go-to? My go-to is generally the chord structure. Um, Unless it's one of those examples, like I told you before, where um, the whole thing appears in my head (laughs) at once. Um, But definitely chord chord structure is the key driver. Okay. Now... um you know, a lot of songwriters have embraced uh, some of the technology that's out today as tools in their toolkit, whether it's their cell phone or they have a home recording system or they use some of the software that's out there like Master Writer or Songwriter's Pad. What are some of the tools that you have found to be indispensable to you as a writer? Um. Definitely my cell phone for recording ideas that I have when I'm out and about. Um, For some reason, I often get song ideas when I'm driving. And so (laughs) the safest way... To, to deal with that is to pull over and uh, you know record sing something uh, you know into the into the voice recorder um, for so that I can work on it later. Um, I also use um, Audacity on my um, laptop to do scratch recording of either melody melody ideas or you know baseline ideas or you know some combination of melody and and groove and lyric and uh, get them down so that I can you know flush them out more later um, and then show them to the rest of the band so that's pretty much the extent of what I use okay now uh, of course we always got to get to that point where we declare the song done with the writing phase and give it to the band, the producer, you know, take it into the studio. What do you do to determine when a song is ready to go to that next stage? Um, when I feel comfortable with it, um, when I have sat with it, um, for a while, I then my next my litmus test, if you will, is going to Patrick, <clears throat> the um, 
bass player and also my husband and saying, hey, I have this song idea. What do you think? And playing it for him or singing it for him. And then he... Um, it comes in with his suggestions. It's sort of a running joke between the two of us that whatever baseline I write, he's going to revise it to make it more interesting um, with probably just a couple of exceptions um, <laughs> in the course of our working together. Yeah. Um, so um, that is, uh, so that's kind of how that goes. And then when, when we have something that we're pretty solid with between the two of us, we throw down a scratch track and email it to the band and then we'll make a plan to work on it in the next rehearsal. Okay. Now, um, let's talk about going into the studio. Uh, when you get into that environment, what what is kind of the process you like to use to capture the sound you're looking for? Do you like to do it live? Do you like to track it? What's kind of your process when you get in that environment? Yeah. Um, well, we generally prefer to record songs that we have performed live at least a couple of times. Um, and if not, that we have thoroughly rehearsed those songs so that the band between ourselves is tight. Because, um, you know, studio time, just like everything else, is not getting any cheaper. So we like to be efficient about our studio time. So we'll go in and there will be a plan about which songs we're going to record. And um, we'll talk amongst ourselves. Um, maybe we'll start off with one that we've been doing for longer just because it's more comfortable and that kind of helps us all warm up and get rid of whatever studio jitters any of us might have. Um, and then we go in, we do prefer, um, to track. So we'll do, um, a track for all the rhythm parts and then any solos or embellishments or, um, final vocals will go in later. Okay. Now, um, Let's talk about the, the lineup on this. Who's playing? Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, um, of course, myself, Patrick McDaniel on bass, uh, you know, other founding member. Um, Carl Martin, dear, hang on a second. There's a dog who wants to sit on my lap. If you hear um, snorting, it's a Frenchie. So, um, hang on a second. He likes to insert himself into my conversations. Um, so Carl Martin, a dear friend of ours who had subbed for us on numerous occasions, is now uh, the drummer um, for the band, and he is just a great addition. And then uh, other new band member we have is um, Richard Newman on guitar, um, and he had also ironically subbed with us and on a few occasions, and then we decided to bring him in full time. And then uh, on saxophone, we have Noel Barnes, who's been with us since the Wiggle Room album, which is uh, three albums ago, four out, four albums ago, something like that. Okay. Now you're working uh, with Betsy Brown from Blind Raccoon to do your PR and radio. Um, Tell me a little bit about that relationship. Yeah, I first met Betsy several years back. 
Um, I think it would have been right after we released um, Lost Nights at the Leopard Lounge, which was our third album. Met her in uh, Memphis during IBC week. Um, was introduced by a mutual friend. Um, and, uh, you know, we were at a point where we really needed to work with someone on promoting our albums. Up until that point, we had gotten, you know, some fairly decent airplay, um, international airplay, um, but we really wanted to um, step things up a notch. So when we were um, working on uh, Wiggle Room, uh, we approached Betsy and asked her if she um, would promote it, and she did, and we've just stuck with her ever since. Okay. Now, um, let's talk a little bit about the industry. Um, things have changed dramatically not only mm. over the last 20, 25 years, but even the last couple of years with the um, with the pandemic and now we're, we're slowly coming out of that. What do you see as the biggest challenge to you as an independent artist in the current music industry? Mm. Um, what I see, and I, I think I, I, I'm hearing this not just in my region, but nationally um it's really much harder for venues to predict what the audience <clears throat> size is going to be for a particular show um and in, sort of in concert with that people are less seem like they're less willing to purchase tickets in advance um and i can understand that if you don't know uh from week to week whether you're going to be sick <laughs> you know or or well enough to attend a show and you're you know you might want to not make that investment if you're unsure so we're seeing shows where not that many tickets are being purchased in advance or less than we would have sold in the past um but then a whole bunch of people come in the door um, but that makes it tough as a musician to kind of, you know, when people are asking, what's your draw and, and can you sell X number of tickets? It's really hard to honestly say what you can deliver because it just seems to vary a lot. Um, so that's a big challenge. Um, we're looking at doing more touring um, outside the West Coast um, and l looking at where we might go in support of the album maybe next spring. Um, so trying to plan that in a way that that will be um, uh, not a not a money loser. So I guess that's the other thing is the difficulty of touring and making it um, uh, making the financial aspect of touring worthwhile. Right now. Um one of the things that I noticed is that the consumer today has really embraced streaming uh, as a way to consume mm. music. And one of the problems with that is that they now don't look at recorded music as a product anymore. Um, CDs are on the way out. Um, you can't yep. get a car with a CD player. You can't go to Best Buy and buy a CD player. They just don't have a CD <laughs> player section anymore. And once that hardware disappears, the software's not too far behind. You know, you can go to exactly. a, a thrift store and get a CD player, but that that's about it now. Um, how has this shift in perception by the consumer affected you as an artist? 
Oh, hugely, because we, um, you know, one of the ways that we've always encouraged um, our fans to support us is by buying CDs. Um, and we're seeing that percentage go much more to um, buying the whole album or selected tracks as a download. So that um, that has shifted a ton and, you know, that impacts revenue to the band. I think that I think, though, I've been I've had some some fairly deep conversations about this lately, and I think you will get this. I think um, if if if, if we're back to the early days of the internet and the early days of things like this idea that everybody had that oh my gosh it, this is going to be the great equalizer for independent blues artists, right? Oh, they don't have all those gatekeepers of music labels and whatnot getting in their way. Um, they'll be able to put their music, everybody can discover it and everybody can find it, right? But that's really not what happened. Um, I mean, yes, everybody was able to put their music out there, but they were putting their music out there for free. And so all of a sudden you could go up to YouTube and find all this great music for free. So then what's the incentive to pay for it? And I also think a corollary to that is people value things in accordance with what they pay for them. So all of a sudden you have these people going, well, music isn't, they don't put as much value on music or, you know, recorded music because it's free. They can get it on Spotify or YouTube or SoundCloud or anything like that for free or for very little. Um, and so I think it's actually hurt the independent artists more than we, more than helped them. Well, I also, I tend to agree with you on that. Um, but if you look, I mean, you got to look at this, this whole um, history during the digital revolution. You know, we started out with this Napster thing where people were sharing music between themselves and it became this huge network and everyone said, Oh, Napster, it's, you know, it's big, it's decentralized. It's nobody can stop it, you know, because there is no one company to get to, you know, and along comes iTunes and Apple and the iPod and, you know, 99 mm -hmm. cent downloads. And then everybody says, oh, Apple, huge corporation. These guys are behemoths. They'll never be able to you know, unseat them as far as how they're affecting the music industry. And they did change the industry. But then people realize they don't want to store this stuff on their phones. They don't want to store it anymore. So then streaming really took hold. And then along comes this little company from Sweden, Spotify, and boom, that's what everyone now uses. And mm -hmm. the lesson that we learn from this is that there is a constant change in how the consumer is basically consuming their music. Streaming has to now evolve because if you really look at it, the bulk of the content that these streaming services have really comes from the independent artist. And you cannot mm -hmm. continue to ask independent artists to go into studios, pay the, the, the price of recording time, pay for the musicians, um, pay for the mastering, and then not even have an opportunity to recoup that investment, to even break even with the current 
way that the revenue stream is structured. This is not a sustainable business model. We need to do something right. better. What do you think needs to happen to change this dynamic? That's a great question. Um, I, I'm not sure that I know what needs to happen to change the dynamic. I, I see independent artists. Um, well, actually, to go back for a bit, one of the that was predicted a few years ago that I have not seen is that artists would start taking control of their, um, of their catalog more. Um, so for instance, that they'd make sure that they owned their domain names and that they'd, um, start pulling away from the online services and, and, and requiring people to buy from them directly. I'm not seeing that happen. Um, mainly because the, um, the online services, the streaming services, are really where the eyeballs are. And unless you're a really well-known artist, people aren't going to go to your site just to purchase your music. And as we've discussed, that's just not the the way that people want to consume their music anyway. So that's not happening. Um Maybe it's just that a bunch of artists need to band together and negotiate with the streaming services for more of a cut. Well, you know, and, and I think, I mean, you, you've got pretty much the right idea. I'm watching some of this new technology that's happening out there, and there is some streaming services that have now been developed utilizing this technology called the blockchain which is the same mm -hmm. technology that cryptocurrency uses to secure itself. That's how you, cryptocurrency uh, maintains their security and their decentralization is this whole f idea that the blockchain, which you can add applications to and all kinds of smart contracts, yada, yada. Now, they've created this one I know is Audius, then you've got Emanate, and these streaming services, number one, promise to be decentralizing of the music industry, where no record company can negotiate with them, uh, no one company can control it. It's more of a direct relationship between the fan and the artist, and they're claiming that they can pay the uh, content creators or the artists up to 80% of the incoming revenue. And Wow. Yeah. I know. And these are existing right now. They're they're up and functioning. And I think as more artists move to these type of platforms, these streaming platforms, the fans are going to move with them. The consumer is going to go to these new platforms because history has shown us that the digital revolution will constantly change along the way. No one company is going to be so big that they can control that market forever. And I think mm -hmm. Spotify's days are numbered because of the fact of, the, of how they structure their revenue stream. And in addition to this, there are also new companies that are, that are popping up like uh, Royal.io, which allows uh, independent artists and any artist really to assign a portion of their royalties or a portion of their streaming royalties or their publishing royalties uh, to uh, 
to create these non-fungible tokens, these NFTs, mm, and sell yeah. them to their fans, almost like stock. Um, Nas did this. He took two songs, and he cut up one half of his streaming royalties, and he made them into NFTs at 0.015% of of his streaming royalties on those two songs. And he sold it to his fan base and was able to raise almost $600,000 of upfront money. And in wow. addition to that, he now had over 3,000 fans that had an economic interest in making sure that his music is streamed. So you get this double benefit of upfront money, connection to your fans... And giving your fans the ability to not only invest in you as an artist, but they can invest in individual songs that they like. So this is a wow. whole new way of of structuring the music industry. What do you think of that as a potential <clears throat> future for the industry? That is absolutely fascinating. And I wrote that down and I'm going to be checking out that website. After I hang up the phone. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, it's... And one of the things that, that really has become kind of this offshoot of this, <clears throat> and one of the, I think, one of the benefits of the pandemic, believe it or not, was that when the pandemic hit, a lot of artists started going on the internet. They started working their social media. And... Mm -hmm. As recorded music lost its status as a product, artists started to realize that they, the branding that you can do on social media and by creating content, almost, you know, a lot of them were creating their own, like, reality show where they were giving their fans this glimpse into their world, not so much in, in musically, but... You know, these are my hobbies. These are the things I do. These are, you know, here's me cooking dinner. Here's, you know, whatever the case may be. And mm -hmm. because we have been really inundated over the last 25, 30 years with this whole reality show kind of mentality, you know, from the Jersey Shore to The Apprentice to, you know, you name it, The Bachelor, Bachelorette, the all this reality programming has really in kind of um, created this mindset in the fan base that they want that they want to feel connected and invested in the artists that they uh, want to idolize you know if Kim mm -hmm. Kardashian showed up at a uh, at a mall and just stood there she would draw a crowd because of that pseudo celebrity that reality show mentality mm -hmm. and i think a lot of artists are starting to realize that and they can create that for nothing or next to nothing utilizing social media and content creation what are some of the things that you guys are doing to kind of uh, inject yourself into that world, that world of content and social media marketing. 
We haven't done a lot of that yet, but we have talked about, well, one of the things we have done, which has been surprised, which surprised me at first was I would shoot just with my, you know, cell phone camera, <clears throat> some snippets of us rehearsing. And, um, you know, sometimes it would be something, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> a song that we had recorded previously that people would have been familiar with. But sometimes it would be, hey, we're working on this. What do you guys think? And it would be pretty interesting to see um, what kind of engagement that we got on that. Um, you know, it's rehearsal. It's inherently not that interesting. But at least we don't think so. <laughs> but that glimpse into all of us just, you know, not in our stage clothes, hanging around, uh, you know, in a studio, um, you know, in a rehearsal space, um, doing rehearsal was interesting to people. So that's that's fascinating to me and so what and i should say that cell phones now make that so much easier right because the the cameras that we all have in our cell phones are fantastic and so you can shoot really good looking video and i i think last time you and i spoke and we talked about the um increase of artists doing their music videos just with cell phone video right? Yeah. and then taking it into an editing program and editing it. So, you know, what's to stop us from, uh, you know, say for instance, the, the band's going to do a together probably before the end of the year to just get together and celebrate and, um, celebrate the album and celebrate, you know, holidays and all that kind of good stuff. So, you know, we might shoot some video from that and put that together so that fans can feel like they're part of that celebration. Um, so that's one thing that we've talked about doing um, and maybe some little snippets of, you know, band members um, at home or something like that to the extent that they're willing to share that. So that's what we have tentatively planned. <clears throat> and well that's a great thing and you know even even in your writing process if you, you know because you know you look at you know uh songland and the voice and you know american idol that whole process of artists developing artists moving their career along is very fascinating to people that are not directly involved with that so you know any kind of content that shows the authenticity of what you're doing i think uh fans will gravitate to you know yeah i it always um it's always fun for me i love it when we're playing a show where i have the leeway to tell some stories and um about where a song came from what's it what it's about or what the process was for writing it um for example, Hot Mess, the um, title track, um, <clears throat> we were playing a holiday party late last year, and a friend of ours came up, and we were chatting, and, and I was talking about how during the pandemic, I really wasn't around people much, but oftentimes, I get these great ideas from conversations with people, or better yet, things I overhear people say. And so she said, okay, well, I, I have a found lyric for you. See if you can do anything with this. And she said to me, woke up on the side of the wrong bed. And I said, okay. And on the way home that evening, so probably within an hour of when she said that to me, 
I had the lyrics, I had the melody, and I was singing it to Patrick in the car. Wow, okay. <laughs> so I'm very suggestible that way. Um, <laughs> and that turned, that's the very first line in the first verse of the song Hot Mess. Nice, okay. So, so people love hearing stories like that because they just get tickled by, by the idea of me at, you know, one o'clock in the morning <laughs> driving home, <laughs> singing a song, singing a new song in the car, you know, and Patrick uh, recording it. So, yeah. There you go. And that's, that's a great piece of content, you know, because they, they like to, you know, it'd be interesting to see, well, here's where the song began and here is where it ended up, you know, and, and give, yeah. give your fans kind of that, you know, this is the evolution of this song, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, of course, Patrick was thinking of a bass line and, uh, as I was singing. And so within, you know, the next couple of days, he's working out. And then we send the recording to the band like we do and then you know to see everybody come along come in with their ideas and and their personality and adding to it um does evolve it it does some it, it does often evolve um a little bit from what you were originally thinking or sometimes a lot but i always love the way it goes because everybody in the band gets each other right so we so there's magic that happens in that in that process Oh yeah, definitely. Now, you know, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, and uh, we're going to give everyone out there an indie blues double shot from your new release. You guys are going to love this. You know what? Turn it up loud. Screw the neighbors.
Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. Shout now, huh? 